Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. And welcome to Call of Discovery, a celebration of Keyforge, of its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am still indubitably your host, Ed Pocock, and today we are joined by the architect of Archons, the creator of The Crucible. It's Brad Andres. Hello, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. For our listeners, we've been working at getting the recording, <laughs> working for quite some time now, but we are delighted that it seems to be doing okay and that we can deliver this to you. If you are new to Call of Discovery, every two episodes, we invite a guest on from the Keyforge community to share their unique perspective on the game. And I'm sure there are very, very few with a more unique and interesting perspective on the game than the lead developer of the game itself. So Brad, great to have you here. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. So let's dive straight in and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, sounds great. We generally like to rewind a bit with our guests and find out how they discovered Keyforge. But with you, I think it would be fascinating if you could share your story of how you discovered game design in the first place. Well, it's, it's a real long story because it started off when I was about seven years old and I started playing this, this card game. You know, all the kids in my neighborhood had started playing it and it was called Magic the Gathering. And it really... It, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a little, kind of an obscure game, but it... It really just captured my imagination when I was a kid, and I I really really fell in love with games at that point. Uh, and I you know stayed Magic player throughout my my childhood and my early adulthood. Um, and uh, when I was around sixteen, that's when I started trying to make my own games because you know like oh yeah. you know I played Magic for forever and uh, you know maybe I can do this. And the first games I made were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I had a lot of fun doing it, uh, and I continued to make my own games uh, through college, uh, writing a lot of little, like, goofy party LARPs and my friends and little stuff like that. Uh, but I also yeah. tried to, you know, make make you know make it happen on the Magic uh, Pro scene, which I utterly failed to do. But I had a lot of fun doing it, and, uh, you know, as I was getting out of college... I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I thought for a long time I was going to be a professor. And I was like, well, I mean, academia is in kind of a rocky place right now. And I don't know if that's exactly what I want to do. So I yeah. took a year off and I started working at a game store. You know, I, and that game store happened to be the Fantasy Flight at the time event center. It was their old location. And I actually started working for Fantasy Flight the day after I graduated college. Wow. 
Wow. That's uh, quite a direct route to where you are now, in, in a way, but also, I imagine, full of turns at every every direction. Yeah. And so, like, I worked in their, their game store for about a year or so until a position opened up on the team. Uh, I had been encouraged to talk to Nate French and be like, hey, I'm interested. And that got me playtesting for the Star Wars LCG at the time. Awesome. And... Well, they, they really liked all the feedback and help that I gave them on that. And when it came time to hire another person, well, you know, <laughs> Nate wanted me. And so I got the job and all the rest is history. And, and Nate seems to be a figure involved in all of Fantasy Flight's card games anyway. Yes, he's also the, the head of game design for the company. Awesome. Is he still involved with the design process on Keyforge, or does he take a little bit of a back step after that first set comes out generally? Um, you know, he, he provided a lot of support um, in that initial stuff. We, we kind of uh, did a lot of work together, but at this point, everything's on me. Nate still like approves visions. Uh, basically, yeah. the direction we're going uh, is ran by him. But uh, the day-to-day is all uh, by me and my team. Awesome. It's interesting. Really interesting. And, and so, Brad, when you landed in the, the card game team, what were the first things that you were working on? How did you find find yourself, I suppose, going from that to, to being in the driver's seat for the world's first unique deck game? Uh, you know, it, it was a long process. When I started off, I was working on Warhammer Invasion and Call of Cthulhu. Okay. And in addition to those, I was also starting out work on Warhammer Conquest with Eric Lang and Nate French. Uh, so, sure. you know, that kind of got thrown into the, the frying pan right off the bat in terms of uh, responsibilities <laughs> and well, just the caliber of designer I was working with, too. And yeah. it, it was very much a trial by fire. I learned so much those first couple of years about game design just in general. And I, I can't tell you how thankful I am for both. Nate and Eric's uh, mentorship and, and tutelage. Sure, and and slowly but surely, Keyforge found itself on your table. Yeah, no, you know, through the through the years and through all the different games I've worked on, you know, basically, if it's an LCG, I've probably seen or touched it in some way, shape, or form at this point. Uh, yeah, but you know, we had this this game show up, and you know, there was kind of these these whispers like, "I hear Richard Garfield's coming in." like around the studio and it was all kind of mysterious. Uh, but then eventually one of the, the former heads of studio, Michael Hurley came around and was like yeah. showing off the game. And I'm like, well, I want to play. And I remember sitting down to that first game and I still have some of the like prototype decks we were using at the time and just, just kind of being blown away. And like, I mean, I got my butt kicked. Sure. But like, yeah, blown away by how different it was. And I didn't even know the back end of the story, that it was a procedurally generated deck at the time. I just thought it was some starter. And so I was playing this interesting card game that was, you know, it's about racing, not about explicitly beating my opponent's face, which yeah. I really liked. I thought it was a different mm. a different take on that. And I didn't even realize the, the depth of what I was getting into at the time. Yeah, slowly but surely that then found its way onto your desk. Did you put your hand up after after that and said, I want to do this. This is something I want to take forward. Yeah, no, as soon as I found out that it was procedurally generated, I knew I had to work on it. Uh, I really, yeah, yeah. 
I really love and, and cherish any moment I can learn something more. That's really important to me. And so the opportunity, one, to work with Richard was, you know, obviously there because, you know, just, he has so much to teach. And then two, you know, a game like this, something so different, so utterly unique among all card games that have ever existed. Like I, I had to, I had to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a certain sense, I think, with Fantasy Flight's games from, from the community anyway, that they seem to be evolving as a group rather than being games in their own right and individuals. They all seem to be influenced by one another. Would you say that's maybe a product of the fact that you all work so collaboratively, you all work together on, on all of these different things and you're able to take things forward from these different games? Oh, yeah. No, we, we learn from every single game that we do here. And, you know, we're, we're all, you know, on the individual type projects or in small groups working on projects, but we all talk and we all give each other feedback. And so it's this constant, like, group of designers that are, are always getting better and always learning from each other. And it's that great environment that really Keyforge thrived on. But, you know, I just count myself lucky that I... I was able to get onto a project that I could be so passionate about. I mean, the, I think the community is thankful that it's it's you that's got yourself onto that and delivered such an incredible game. Oh, thank um, you. So thank you very much. So Keyforge isn't just any normal game; it's a unique deck game, and you must have you must have really questioned what it would be like after it's been launched. So. What has surprised you most since the launch of Keyforge? Well, you know, honestly. You know, we we knew Keyforge was going to be spectacular. Whether yeah. whether it was going to be a su spectacular success or a spectacular failure, it was going to be one of those two <laughs> things. Because uh, okay. like it is just so different, and so yeah. we didn't know. Like we 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 hoped. We we knew we knew everyone was excited on our end. We knew our retailers were excited. We knew that, but would, would the community really embrace it? Because it was so different. So like I mean, I'm not gonna you know shake two sticks at it, but you know the success of Keyforge was uh, a very pleasant surprise because we really didn't even know. We didn't know whether people would be able to get behind the concept. And and that's I think a, a hallmark of a, a good company right there that you. As a company, you were willing to take that risk of saying, hey, we're going to put something out there that no one else has done, that no one else is maybe even thinking about, and we're going to throw a lot of stuff behind it and see if we can make it work. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the, the really great things about working at Fantasy Flight is that there is that drive to innovate, the drive to find what the next new game is. And, and I think that yeah. really... Even that, that spirit is embodied in Keyforge. You know, I mean, we're on yes, the Call yeah. of Discovery podcast and well, finding those Absolutely. new games, discovering those new avenues is so important. It is all about the discovery. And listening to the guys at the Covenant cast, they were speaking about a month ago, just ahead of the, the release of Worlds Collide. And they were saying, you know, I think, I think we're going to have Keyforge with us for the next 10 years now minimum this could be something that really really persists does that excite you or, or does that daunt you or a bit of both uh you know when when definitely a bit of both i mean there there's a lot of expectations 
to continue that discovery. And yeah, I mean, I've got tons of ideas. Just wait till you guys see what's coming up. Uh, you haven't even, you haven't even scratched the surface <laughs> in terms of the insanity of my ideas. Um, but I am looking forward to it. The opportunities that are afforded to us by having the algorithmically generated decks is, is just incalculable. And so, yeah, 10 years, I think we could do it. The, the, the key will be is making sure that we can keep the game feeling fresh and exciting yeah. and having those moments of discovery. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And for me at the moment, that happens with every deck I open. I, I think that's probably a congratulations from a game design perspective oh. because I, I think my experience there is reflected right across the entire community. Oh, again, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, we have a wonderful team here that, that tries their hardest on Keyforge and they're all extremely passionate people. And, uh, you know, it's not just just... It's not just me. Again, everyone is so wonderful, uh, and they all deserve the community's thanks. So, so let's dive in a bit more to the the game design journey, I suppose, of Keyforge, mm -hmm. of the design journey that a set goes through from the initial spark, the initial ideas, the initial vision to going out to production, going out to, to be printed. And I think we recognize that AOA and Worlds Collide seem to have been printed six months before their release. So how, how long is it between that initial spark and, and actual release? You know, it, it probably takes, uh, you know, more than a year. Uh, yeah. And, and we're, you know, we're pretty far ahead at this point, which is great. You know, just in terms of us getting to do crazy things because crazy things take time. So yeah, I can you know, we, worked, we worked really hard to get ahead. Uh, and so the whole process takes more than a year, typically. You know, it starts off from a vision, an idea of we, what we want a future set to look like. Uh, for the first three sets, initial set, is, that always all done by Richard, uh, design-wise. Yeah. Uh, and then we just did development work uh, along with extra design support on the game, uh, game itself. Uh, for set two, Richard and I uh, collabed on the design 50-50 um, between him and his people and me. Uh, and then we did the same for set three. Uh, that's a 50-50 yeah. collab between the two of us. But then moving forward, that's just going to be our team. Okay. Uh, with uh, Richard uh, being uh, informed and given uh, a review step uh, to help sure. curate and, and give us extra ideas. But he's, he's still informed in the process. Uh, that's an important thing for us because he has such vision. Yeah. But that's the early steps. There's a lot of just like crafting a set together. And typically we're, we're over designing for sets. You know, for a set that's, you know, 300 plus cards, uh, we typically design anywhere between five and 600 cards. Oh, wow. Okay. And then narrow down, uh, which helps build one, our slush pool of good ideas and two, uh, allows us to just be really, really intensely creative in the brainstorming part and then just pick out yeah. the best things. Because again, you guys, the community deserves the best of our ideas and really Keyforge can only exist on the best of our ideas. So yeah, it helps us by over-designing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 
interesting to hear about Richard's evolving role in in the Keyforge community now as a kind of creative consultant by by the sound of it. And do you have different teams involved at different stages of that process, or or is it quite consistent from from the the beginning of the idea straight through to actually let's flesh this out and and send this off? Uh, so so it can vary um, because the the current uh, design and development team is uh, myself. Uh, Danny Schaefer, who has worked on Game of Thrones Second Edition, okay, and then Aaron Haltum, who has worked on Star Wars Destiny, is is the design team, and so I function as lead designer. Yeah, and then for each set, either Danny or Aaron uh, accompanies me on the design aspect. Every we all help, but. One of them is put in more of the, the driver's seat as being my like right-hand man yeah. in terms of design. Then Aaron or Danny will pick up the majority of the development work. Okay, okay. Oh, that's fascinating. So with uh, with their own games ongoing as well, I imagine that they, they each bring in such kind of different insights to that creative process at any given time. Exactly. And, and it helps really bring that variety and that different flair to each step. Yeah. Um, and it also means that I can focus more on the overall evolving landscape of Keyforge, what, what, what Keyforge looks like two years from now, three sure, years sure. from now, five years from now. And they are more focused on the minutia of the set. Okay. Uh, it also lets me focus a lot of my time on designing new cards yeah. and designing new crazy things yes. rather than, you know, figuring out the exact balance. So overall, for, for the design process, did being a unique deck game present additional kind of opportunities and challenges to that process? Or is it largely consistent with the design processes that you have for other games no it's, it's really different okay um in, in in other you know lcgs or even board games you know there's very much like a set playbook yeah. of these are the cards that exist and our play testers are focusing more on okay what are the most broken things you can put together what what, what can we do like what are you going to do that's going to change how the meta is played in six months when this set when this comes out it's a lot more focused on, on those, like trying to find the broken interactions. Sure. Where Keyforge is more this this process of curating the algorithm and what the sets look like overall. Yeah. So that the decks that come out of it are more in line with what we envision a Keyforge set to be. Okay. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and. How different is that yeah. playtesting process with Keyforge then? I, mean, I imagine with a traditional card game, you need to ensure that all the cards are tested and give people the opportunities to build their own decks or see what the, the maximum power levels are. But with, with Keyforge, then the possibilities being near endless, what additional changes does that make for the overall playtesting process? You know, it, 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 it's a lot more playtesting, honestly, because we have to do all of the normal playtesting that we do, all the balance yeah. testing of the most broken things against each other. And additionally, we also need to see what the average power level of decks coming out of the set is, how those measure up against previous sets, how, how much amber control is present in the set. Is it easy to get yeah. decks that have it? Like, 
those sort of questions. And we have a lot of uh, spreadsheets and data that we've been gathering. The, we, we do a big, giant breakdown of what each set looks like from a qualitative standpoint. Fascinating. Okay. And that reflects out to each rarity in a house, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so am I right in thinking there that you'd maybe look at the percentage of decks, let's say, that had under a certain amount of amber control and use that to work out what rarities you put things at or maybe which cards get kept and which cards get cut from that extended 600 card list? Exactly. And, you know, it relies on internal rating systems of like, oh, this is a, you know, a five power out of five amber control card. Okay. That at common influences our spreadsheet x amount and so okay, okay we put that at uncommon instead okay that looks better okay this is really interesting brad you were talking just now about your kind of outlook for the game in one year in three years in five years whilst i'm keen not to ask you anything you maybe can't answer at the moment we certainly saw with Call of the Archons introducing the game, its core concepts. AOA certainly cemented what Keyforge is and deepened the identities of the first seven houses, providing a sneak peek for the the depth of design and the, the things that we would be seeing in the future. What role does Worlds Collide play for you in the overall evolution of Keyforge and its, its journey? I mean, Worlds Collide is very much the, like, last piece of the view of what Keyforge is. Okay. You know, we have we have our first set that establishes the things, uh, all, all of the, the tropes and, and, and like the basic background of what the game is. Age of Ascension recontextualizes and says, you know, that thing that you thought was, look, you can be another shape too. Yeah, yeah. And then, then Worlds Collide is the third part of that saying, look at where we can go. Look at what we can become. And I feel like if, if you had to, uh, to measure it out, like we're really just on the doorstep of Keyforge now. Like the, the, the growth factor is the, the thing that you guys have now seen. And now we're, you know, <laughs> we've gathered our map. We've gotten to the door, we've opened the door, and we're at the first step of the dark, scary, enchanted forest. And we're ready, we're kind of ready to dive in. <laughs> I, I'm sure I speak for all of the listeners to this podcast when I say this is extremely exciting and also keeps <laughs> the, uh, the whole discovery theme of this podcast relevant for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So, oh, that's, that's brilliant. And I guess diving into a little bit about the, the future of Keyforge, what excites you most? <sighs> Okay, how can I say this? Um, <laughs> the algorithm gives us the opportunities to provide players with experiences they've never had before, okay. ever with a card game. Yeah, We're going to be able to do things that, again, no one else would be able to do. And that level of design, that type of experience is what I'm absolutely committed to providing the audience because that's what you guys deserve is that just that freshness, that newness. Yeah. And that is going to be the core of the Keyforge experience. And I'm really, really excited to share it with all you. 
Awesome. I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to hear about it, all of it. And thank you for sharing what you can with us on that. I wish I could say more. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, I don't want to I don't want to give like any sort of massive hint or anything. But you know, yeah, it must be really difficult not to not to share some of those things that you're so excited to talk about to spread the word about. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard because I don't like leaving people in the dark. But, you know, I also love leaving, uh, like, subtle hints throughout any sort of, like, media or interview that I do, so. Absolutely. Okay, okay. I'm looking forward to, to listening back to this one and finding the subtle hints. And that's, a, <laughs> that's a side note to anyone listening to this podcast, Brad's leaving, Brad's leaving breadcrumbs <laughs> about the, the future of Keyforge. Always. <laughs> and and to give you an opportunity to do that let's talk a bit about mechanics mm-hmm. i think we've seen the steady introduction of different mechanics in sets two and three mechanics seem to be being used to do wildly different things as well such as exalt to uh, build out the house identity of of the saurians and then other other mechanics kind of permeating those those house distinctions and house boundaries but are most of the mechanics that we see in Keyforge going to be evergreen, do you think? Or are some of them going to come and go as different sets are released and different things are needed? I think that we're going to see some evergreen stuff. There there are some you know, base components of the game that, yeah. that should exist. You know, fighting and briefing aren't going anywhere. Of course, yeah. But, you know, a lot of other things are, are up for grabs. We want to keep on having an environment that surprises and, and, and challenges what you think you know about the game. And so, you know, a, a lot of things are on the chopping block and, and available to be switched up. Now, the goal is not to take something away without replacing it with something equally compelling or interesting. But we do want to keep on having an environment that can change. Uh, so, like... I'd say question everything, or almost everything. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that, 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 that just adds to the excitement of the game. With uh, mechanics like Exult for the Saurians, mm-hmm. is that going to be something that we, we might be seeing in other houses as well? Or is that something that you think is part and parcel of that core Saurian identity? Oh, I think you'll see it in other houses. Okay. We're establishing it in Worlds Collide as, as you know, being part of their identity. And so it's stronger to have almost, I think, I think all of the Exalt cards are for Saurian there. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's an open mechanic with lots of potential. And I don't want to restrict myself to being like, no, it's only a Saurian mechanic, which is, which is, which is the, <laughs> the voice in my head that, poo-poo's ideas i tell them to shut up (laughs) okay (laughs) i like it i like it we we want you to try the crazy stuff go for it it's uh it's exciting and talking of crazy stuff it certainly seems to be a kind of staple comment with games that every time something's released it's played more in the first day of its release than it ever has been through playtesting mm-hmm so I suppose are the introduction of anomalies an opportunity to to kind of test those innovative ideas, those wild, those crazy ideas in the real world? To a degree, yeah. Um, and, and, and try and understand player reaction to them and, and what they like about it, what they don't like about it. But it's also anomalies are, are very much my promise 
about the future of Keyforge. And when I mentioned, you know, being on the, the precipice, the, the entrance to the Enchanted Forest, like, yeah, those, those are the thing, the anomalies are the things you see looking into the forest, the things that lure you in, uh, the sparkling fairy at the edge that, that, that beckons you to come closer. And, and absolutely, that is what those are there for to, to make you wonder, to make you imagine, to make you just intrigued about the future. Yeah. And for myself, and I think for a lot of the player base, they certainly serve that place of discovery and discovery right the way through a set. I certainly have said to myself, I'm not going out there and looking up what the anomalies do. Um, I've heard some of the names of them, but I want to discover them organically. And I want to either be playing against them or open a deck with them and say, hey, I never thought this could go in this direction. And uh, that's exciting. You know, and honestly, I'm, I'm jealous of every single fan of Keyforge that has the opportunity yeah. to be able to go out and buy a deck without looking at anything in the set. Yeah. Like, I'm super, super, super jealous. Like, <laughs> and, and, and a bit on that then, just being the lead developer of Keyforge and designing the game and being there all the way through that creative process, are you still, to a certain extent, able to share in that excitement of discovery that the rest of us get when we open a new deck? You know, I get to live vicariously through the community when they get okay. to discover something, when they get their first look. You know, I can almost yeah. guarantee I'm, 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 I can't help myself. Like, I'm looking at what people think. I'm reading the comments. And one, I want to make sure that Keyforge continues to be better. If something isn't exciting or isn't hitting or people don't like it, I want to know immediately. Sure. But yeah, like that's, that's how I live that excitement. And it just fuels me to want to create more fun and interesting stuff for you guys. Have you ever opened a Keyforge deck before and thought, I actually haven't thought of that combo before that you've, you've got two cards together that produce something unexpected. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, definitely. It's happened a couple of times, uh, you know, even in my experience, I, you know, when, uh, age of Ascension hit one of the first decks I opened had uh, double Ortanu in it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I was like, Oh, I hadn't even thought if you got two of them. <laughs> okay, so I, I imagine that's something a little bit different than maybe other designers would get because yeah, you really do have an endless sea of possibilities and, and options to to explore and probably some potential combos have never even been printed so far. Oh, I'm sure there's, there's you know, <laughs> no Vendictillion numbers of possible decks. And, uh, you know, with each set, we just increase that number. And I'm hoping that is actually a real number as well. Novembertillion? <laughs> yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I believe the, the theoretical number of decks for Call of the Archons was like 263 Novembertillion decks. I gave a presentation at uh, GEC this year about it. Oh, wow. Wow. And I imagine that grows exponentially with every single set that's released as well. Exactly, especially with the availability of legacy cards. Yeah. 
And I must ask, Brad, your repeat reference of the Enchanted Forest, is this one of those little breadcrumbs for the future of Keyforge? Or <laughs> are, you, uh, are you saying nothing or, or are you going to throw us all off the scent? Uh, you know, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you an audible wink. <laughs> okay, okay. Wink! An audible wink. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing whatever that becomes then. So, Brad, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the cast, talking a bit about the the game design process and really kind of opening the door on on what goes on, the inner workings of FFG and what you're most excited about for the future. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Brad, where can people reach you? Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter. My handle is at Darbamus Prime. At D A R B I M U S P R I M E. To our to our listeners, let us know what you think the enchanted forest of the future of Keyforge could indeed be, and let us also know what you want to see more of and less of in future shows. Please do subscribe on your regular podcast app, and you can find us on Facebook, on the Twitters, on Instagram, and you can email us any questions you like at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. <laughs>